Uh, thanks for being here. There, there, there were some, in fact, uh, I, I had more than one conversation this week <laughs> over like, well, are y'all just canceling services since it's Sunday? It's, it's Sunday is 4th of July. And, um, it's already been sort of like weird, like trying to come back from the, the pandemic and had like, can, can, will anybody be there? And I, my answer was, we're really not canceling services. And two, I have no idea if anybody's going to be here. So you beat the odds. Thank you so, so much for being here. I, I always, I, I, I was sharing with, uh, so folks before I, I I always feel kind of ambivalent about like exactly how and what to do on like the more patriotic holidays because I realize like there is this assumption that churches are supposed to exhibit some amount of like over zeal like zeal and patriotism um, on on days like um, Fourth of July or Memorial Day or something like that and and I'm not anti like patriotism like I'm, I'm very like pro patriotism it's just the the question becomes like what is the church's role in that and I knew. Uh, when I was in seminary, I knew a guy who was a pastor at a at a really at a small church in, in a little town near Waco, and there there was one Sunday. I, I've told this story in, in the context of sermons before. This is not the sermon, by the way. This is just me talking. But I, uh, I, uh, this guy, he he one Sunday he he asked his like I guess his board of elders because there the the way the church was set up was there was like this elevated carpet and stage and on one side of the stage was like this this like white there was like a, it's what's known as like the american christian flag or whatever and so it has like a it's like a white flag with like a blue square and a red cross in the, in, in the, up in the corner so it's basically like a cross but in the form of a flag and then on the other side of the stage was a giant american flag and so this guy this this guy that i was in seminary with just one day just said like hey board of elders what if we took the American flag and moved it to a different, less prominent place in the sanctuary because it's sort of like sitting in equal, it like it, it, it looks like we have like the cross on one side and the American flag on the other. It feels like we're sort of giving equal weight to both those things. And you would have thought he said, what if we ban Bibles? <laughs> and because people freaked out and, um, and he, they ended up not moving the flag because he didn't want to get fired. But um, like the, so, so I realized like there, there are lots of contexts in American churches where like America, like it, it, there's, a, there's a big, you know, there, 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 there's a big like premium placed on like how patriotic can we be? And again, like I don't want to be anti-patriotism, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to let that sort of be the thing that drives us. Because um, I think one of the one of the more interesting subversive things about the way of Jesus is that it calls us out of like that sort of rhetoric, and it says like, well, like um, may, maybe maybe worship of your country is, is a little bit too far. You know what I mean? And so then I realized like that, that sounds hyperbolic, but when the cross and the American flag are placed in the same position and like one cannot be moved without someone be, being afraid of losing their job, like that's, um, that's kind of a sacred cow kind of situation. And so um, I, I just want to thank you really for, for being the kind of church where we don't have that kind of uh, conflict and, and where um, we, we can, we can place our patriotism in, in the context of, um, like where, where it belongs in sort of like the hierarchical structure of how we feel about God and Jesus and the world around us. And so anyway, um, if this is your last Sunday, thanks for being here. <laughs> um, it was great seeing you. Um, but uh, anyway, all that to say, I, I really appreciate y'all. So thanks so much for being here. Um, why, don't I, why don't I pray for us and then we'll get started into the thing that I actually like was prepared to talk about. Uh, God, thank you so much for, for this time and this place and for, for those who, um, who help put this together every week, for the, for the musicians, for the, uh, for the people who show up early to make coffee, for, for anyone who has poured any amount of energy into the space. We are so, so grateful because we want this space to be a place where people can receive some amount of grace and peace. 
and um, and for those of us who who are here today, and we limped through the doors. For those of us who are watching online, and it's it's just been one of those weeks. We just we feel like we just need a win. Uh, God, we we pray in the next few moments may we receive more grace and peace than we had when we first arrived. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter one. So we are in this series, we've been in this series for a little while, where we've been talking about kind of this journey of what does it look like to deconstruct and reconstruct one's own faith. And I've kind of used my own experiences as kind of the, the jumping off point for, for that discussion and, and talking about all the different ways. And, and the, the metaphor I've continued to use is the idea that we all have like these, this mental furniture in our, in our own space, in our own heads. And what deconstruction often feels like is you take all the mental furniture and you move it all out of the room and you just start asking questions about, okay, well, what goes back in? What deserves a, like a, a greater place of prominence? What stuff maybe needs to stay out because it's outdated, it's outmoded, it's maybe harmful? What maybe is there new? Are there new things that need to be brought in? Um, or, or like, and so all sorts of new questions about what does it look like to rearrange your mental, emotional, spiritual furniture, and what does that look like? How does that change us? And in, in what ways does that shape us? And we talked a lot about that in, in the past few weeks. And last week we t- I talked about how one of the things that kind of came out of my own deconstruction was just like how little power I had. And um, the, like if you, if you came up in a system that told you that you had lots of power, just based on like if you pray hard enough or if you give enough or if you do these things, then you will have certain amounts of power and agency, and, uh, you know, like will over certain things. And, and one of the things that came out of my, th- my season of, of deconstruction was the realization of like, oh, no, I have so much less power than, uh, than, than I ever thought I did. And, um, and that's, that's a difficult sort of thing. And so today we're going to kind of flip the coin on the other side and, and kind of talk about, yeah, but maybe there are ways that we do have power and maybe there are, there are ways that we are empowered. And what does it mean for us to live inside the tension of empowerment and disempowerment? And, and how do we recognize in, in what spaces we do have power and what spaces we don't have power? And that made me think a lot. And maybe it's because I had to go back to my hometown recently, but it, it made me think about like when I was in the eighth grade, um, I had to play a sport and because it, it was for a great, it, like I, and I, I don't use a lot of sports analogies a lot in sermons just because I very, le- I very little to work with. Um, but, <laughs> but also because I, it's just not a, it, it's not a thing that interests me all that much. I mean, just at, like personally. And, um, if, if it interests you, that's great. It just, it, it, it's just not, not for me. There's lots of pastors out there who, like, every week, it's like, it's, life's a lot like football. Like, I don't get that. But, um, but anyway, when I was in the eighth grade, I, um, I, I had to play, you, you, the school I grew up in, you had to play a sport for a grade. Or, and so it was either, it was like fifth period, like right after lunch, which is a great idea. Um, you, then you either, like, the, the choices for me were either wrestling, not wrestling, wrestling, <laughs> or basketball. And I think one look at me and you're like, he went with basketball. Because <laughs> he definitely wasn't about to be wrestling. <laughs> so so I, I, I had to, for, again, for a grade, for no other reason, I, I signed up to, to, to play basketball. And you know, it, it's not like there's tryouts. There's no tryouts in a town that size. It's basically like you sign up for Pittsburgh basketball, they give you a uniform, they give you the, the schedule of games, and if you don't show up at the games, you fail the class. So I, I'm on the basketball team, naturally. And, um, and so I remember, like, and I almost, I saw like less than 30 seconds for the whole season of like playing time, if that. And I remember um, there was one game, and the thing about the basketball team was the basketball coach was also my English teacher. 
because that's the school I grew up in. And um, I did pretty well in English. I was, I was a good student. I, I, I excelled in that particular class. So my English teacher really liked me during English class, but had no use for me during basketball. <laughs> and so I'm sure this poor guy had to like reckon with like the living inside the tension of like, Rob is useful in first period, but useless in fifth period. And we have to sort of live in that world. That was the, that was the, that was the deal we all struck. So I remember there was one, one day we were, uh, we, we had a, a basketball game and I'm wearing my perfectly clean, uh, sweatless uniform and I'm, I'm sitting at the very end of the bench where I, where I lived during these games and I was just sort of sitting there bored out of my mind like counting faces in the stands while like my, my friends were, were playing basketball uh, like very nearby and, and I'm just sort of sitting here and I remember like one game we were about halfway through like I, I don't know like the second period, quarter, uh, half, I don't know, whatever, or the first, the first half. Anyway, so we were, the, the clock was about to hit zero. And so um, for, for that particular part of the game, and I remember I'm sitting here, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not paying attention to the game at all, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm very peacefully sitting where I belong on the end of the bench. And all of a sudden, my English teacher slash basketball coach calls my name. He says, hey, Rob, come down here. So I'm, I'm startled, first of all. But second of all, I think, like, oh, my gosh. Maybe he sees something in me that I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is my moment. This is my Rudy moment. Like I'm about to, I'm about, I'm about to really show show the world like what a basketball player I really am. And so I get up and I because you know anytime a coach calls your name, like that means you go, you're about to get into the, you're about to play. And so um, that, that that was what I saw other people go through anyway. So so I so I, I walk down to the other end of the bench and I sit and and the coach tells the kid next to him scoot out. So it makes everybody on the bench scoot down all the way. And I sit down, and I'm, I'm like, now I'm, all, I'm pretending like that I'm, I'm paying attention, like I'm studying the game, like I'm a, I'm a real student of this particular game. And so, um, and, I, and he doesn't say anything to me. He just keep, keeps watching the game, calling whatever he calls. And I'm sitting here doing nothing. And, but again, pretending really hard that I've been, I've been paying attention. And eventually, like, again, the, the clock is about to hit zero. Like, why does, why does he call my name? I'm becoming very curious as to why I'm sitting next to the coach all of a sudden. And so I ask him. I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to just like you know step step on my moment here. But I, I asked him. I said, I said, hey coach, uh, did you want me to go in? And he and he, he looked at me like he forgot I was there. He goes, what? No, no. He said, no. Just keep me company. <laughs> and so, turns out what happened. I found out later. What happened was the kid who had been sitting next to him wouldn't stop talking. He was like, he was loving the crap out of this guy because he was like giving play-by-play -play commentary, like trying to get himself into the game by like chattering at the coach the whole time. And so eventually the coach was like, I can't take it anymore. And he looked down the bench and was like, which kid will annoy me the least? And it was me. So I won. I was, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was the most useful I have ever been during a sporting <laughs> So I remember, and I remember at the time feeling like, should I be offended? Should I be honored? And, um, and I chose to be honored because that's what my self-esteem needed in that moment. And and I remember just th thinking like, I am like, of all the use, because there were lots of other kids on the team. Because again, you if you have to play, if every if every kid in the school has to like be on a team of something, there's a lot of us here who don't belong on the basketball team at all. And so I remember thinking, like, of all the useless kids, I'm the most useful of the useless kids. So, um, anyway, why tell that story? Um, it's I, I've gone through I've, I've gone through lots of periods of my life where I felt like that kid again, where I where I felt like. I don't really know what to do here.
here. Like, again, last week, we t- I talked a lot about powerlessness. And I, I talked a lot about sort of the emotion of wanting to be useful and wanting to have some amount of power and agency and not really having that. And just sort of like the frustration and the fear that sort of comes along with that. And again, when you're in the eighth grade and, and you don't have any other sort of out, like, like I didn't know public speaking was an option for me at that point. It was just like, at that point, public speaking was just me being loud in class. And so I, I, I didn't know what I could and couldn't do yet. And so I felt largely useless in ways that people my age wouldn't normally try to feel useful. And so it's easy, it's easy to feel weak or useless or disempowered, especially when we focus our attention on the things that we wish we had more power over, that we, that we wish we actually could do and had some amount of agency over. It's easy to feel like the kid on the bench who has nothing to, to offer. Um, and again, last week we talked about powerlessness. We talked about surrender, about how there's so much that we can't control, which can be very, very difficult. I, last, I felt kind of bad last week after we left. Like it, it was sort of like a downer. Like it, and and I, I, I tried really hard to sort of bring it back to um, – you know, like the passage where Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And like the idea that, no, when, when we choose to, to recognize all the ways that we have no power, there's actually a freedom in that. And I believe that. But it's also hard to feel good and excited about that. You know what I mean? It's hard to feel empowered when you spend 30 minutes talking about how little power we have. And so, so today, we're going to kind of take that and we're going to kind of flip it around. And we're going to, well, so, so today, it's almost like the, um, the, the second half of last week. So, because last week, we talked about the sort of the acknowledgement of all the ways that we don't have power. So today we're going to talk about the things that we do have some amount of power over, the, the things that we can't control. Because there are some things that we can't control. Just the trick, I would argue the journey of, the, like the spiritual journey of, of us all is learning which things we have control over and which things we don't. I, what, when, when are we the kid on the bench with nothing to offer and when, when do we actually have something to offer in the world? And part of my own deconstruction and reconstruction has been reckoning with what I do and don't have power over. Like, this has been a major part of my own particular journey, which brings us to Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, you have the story of God creating. And I'm sorry, all of the passages, I normally would print them on the back of the bulletin. Holiday weekend, we had tons of family stuff this weekend. I ran out of time. I apologize. There's a, just a blank sheet of paper on the back of your bulletin. So if you have a Bible, you can, you can follow along or an app or something like that. But otherwise, I, I didn't print the, book, the passages for you. I do apologize. So um, anyway, so in Genesis 1, you have the story of God creating and God speaking creation into existence. And as things are being created, these things are being declared to be good. Things are like th- this is created. And then the thing that's been created is, ha- is declared to have some amount of intrinsic value. And then in the midst of this creation, towards the end of it, you have human beings being created. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And by the way, the rule over here is not like destroy and like bend to your will. Rule over is treat it as if you had been the one who had created it. And it is because all these things have been declared to be good. And so there is this empowerment that is being spoken into this moment. Go and interact with the rest of creation as if you already know that it's good and that you still have some, and you actually do have some amount of power over how these things are treated. And then it says, so God created humankind, mankind, in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Then fill the earth and subdue it. And again, the subdue, it kind of echoes the idea of rule over. It's it's treat with some amount of stewardship and reverence. And then it says rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves on the ground. So from the very beginning, there is this empowerment 
that's given to human beings. All things are created and all things are declared to be good. And then human beings are told, now you go and you interact with it with some amount of ingenuity and some amount of creativity. You go and deal with this as if you have some amount of power over it. And then later on in uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden uh, the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. By the way, this notion of work here shows up a whole chapter before anything bad goes wrong. No fruit has been eaten yet. And all of a sudden, you have this notion of there is work that can be done. Here, work is sacred. There is something good and life-giving about the work that we are invited to do. This, this person is being told, now you go and you work as if there is something holy in your work. And then later on uh, in verse 19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. So there's a creativity that's introduced here. It's not just, now go and don't mess this up. It is go and use your own ideas, use your own ingenuity, use your own creativity to take the story further. In this story, God is inviting human beings to partner with God to, to continue to interact with creation with some amount of power and agency and creativity. Before there are any destructive choices, any negative events happen, humanity is given agency and control. Human beings are invited to participate in the ongoing act of creation. It's almost like it, it, this is the difference between something being good and something being perfect. The, the idea of something being perfect, in Greek, this is the word telos, um, per perfection implies nothing. there's nothing more to be done. It's whole. It's complete. Goodness implies there is some value here, but maybe you can enhance the value. Maybe you can continue to interact with this as if there's still more goodness to be introduced into the system. So here, from the very beginning, there is an empowerment. You were invited to participate in the ongoing creation of the world. There is a creativity you were invited to, to, to harness that you have implanted within you. Later on, if you jump over to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter uh, 35, um, the book of Exodus uh, is, th this part of the book of Exodus happens after you have this group of people, the, the, the Israelites, who have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. And so now they are no longer slaves. And what you have in the, in the last half of the book of Exodus are lots of questions about what does it look like for us to be the kinds of people God has created us to be. And a big part of that conversation has to do with what does it look like for God to dwell among us. And so they, um, there is, at some point, it is determined that this group of people are going to build a tabernacle. And a tabernacle is literally supposed to be the place where God's like, physical like, presence dwells among the people. So the idea is this God has chosen to dwell among the people. But this God needs a, like a place to dwell. So they decide, we're going to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle comes with all sorts of specifications and, and like uh, different measurements and like all, all sorts of very specific instructions. However, there's also an invitation at some point to be creative in the midst of that. So in Exodus, and there, you see this show up a couple of times. We'll just look at one example. So in Exodus 35, beginning in verse 30, it says, then Moses, Moses is the person who's been leading this group of people. It says, then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, uh, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the, with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs 
for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut uh, and set stones, to work in wood, and to, in, uh, to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, uh, 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 and the tribe of, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skills to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers of all the skilled workers and designers. So in the midst of this, there is that recognition there are people in your midst who have creative impulses, who are able to look at a piece of stone or a piece of cloth and say, you know what, if we did something interesting with that, we could really, we could really bring something new into the world with it. For thousands of years, there has been this understanding that work and creativity are essential parts of what it means to bring shalom into the world. The, the assumption here is we're gonna, we're gonna put our artistic efforts, we are going to create something brand new and beautiful, and in doing that, we will, empower the world to see more of what God is like. And so for thousands of years, there's been this assumption that people have the ability to use their creative impulses and this, this, this God-given sense of, oh, what if, what, if we, what if we just tweak this? What if, we, what, if we do, what if we take this piece of cloth or we take this piece of stone and we do something with it and all of a sudden there's beauty that the world has never seen before? For thousands of years, there's been this assumption that human beings have the power to create something new to bring something good into the world. Uh, later on, if you uh, jump over to the book of Philippians, <laughs> bless you, uh, if you uh, jump over to the book of Philippians chapter 2, uh, no, sorry, chapter 1, um, during the early church movement, you've got this guy named Paul, and he's writing to this group of people in a city called Philippi. He's writing from prison. In fact, we did a whole series on the book of Philippians during the lockdown um, a, a thousand years ago or something, um, when I was... Um, <laughs> Broadcasting from my dining room. So um, this, this may sound familiar to, to those of us uh, who were following along during that series. Um, but here in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, which writer Paul says this, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there is a good work that began, and it's through you that that good work will continue and will hopefully be completed at some point. So a good work has begun, but human beings are invited to participate in the good work. And there's a lot of speculation that when Paul says a good work has begun, that the, the connecting the, the notion of good work, good work, and a beginning is a like sort of a coded reference to Genesis chapter one. So this is all sort of tying itself together and saying like, yeah, for thousands of years, you've been a part of a tradition that insists that good work is being done and that insists you are invited to be a partner in continuing that good work. And uh, if you jump back one chapter to the book of uh, Ephesians, same writer, Paul, writes in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. Um, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, the, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, there are some things that you have very little control over. And then in verse 10 it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And by the way, this word handiwork here, I love this word. Um, in, in Greek, this is the word poema. It's where we get the word poem. It literally means artwork. So we have, first of all, this acknowledgement of there are some things that are beyond your control, like th these larger issues of grace and, and uh, gifting. But then there are, and, and, and the people are told, you are God's poetry. 
you are God's artwork. And then in understanding that, you are then created to go and bring goodness into the world. We are God's artwork created with the potential to bring good into the world. And so he says, like, there are these good things. It's almost like you have this path. And on your path, you have all sorts of opportunities to bring good into the world. And what Paul is saying is, your job is to keep your eyes open and to recognize where those moments are and when you can bring something good into the world. It's easy to feel powerless because in so many ways, we are. But it's important to remember that there are these ways that we're invited to take action, where we are, invited, we are, we are reminded you are, you are artwork. You are God's artwork, and you were created to do something in the world. You were created to create. So there, there are ways that we are specifically invited to take action. There are ways that we're specifically empowered and not disempowered. And the trick, again, the entire spiritual journey is knowing the difference between the, the times when we have to release control because we have no control in the first place, and when we have to be able to say, like, okay, I actually do have some kind of power. I actually could create something. I could bring something good and beautiful and life-giving into the world if I recognize the opportunity in, in front of me. There are all sorts of times when you do have power. You do have power over your responses to specific, to specific people and events. You, you can't control if that person will call you back. You cannot control if that person will forgive you. You cannot control if that person will betray you. But you do have control over how you interact with other people. You can choose to be a person who loves and shows grace and mercy. You can, you can choose to be the kind of person who, who wouldn't betray another, a friend, who wouldn't bring darkness into the world. You, you can choose to be a person who is consumed by hate and bitterness towards others, or you can be a person who chooses to, to, um, to bring more love and grace and forgiveness into the world. You have that power. You, you, you do have power over what you create over what you bring into the world. You can choose to either only consume or you can choose to put something new in the world. And even, even if it, it doesn't feel significant, if any time you choose to say, okay, in this moment, I will put something in, in the world that brings some amount of goodness and life and grace. Even if it's just, even if it's just like making a playlist for somebody or if it's, if it's just sending a text message that says, hey, I was thinking about you today. I know you're having a hard time. It can, be, it can be something very, very small, but that can bring some amount of goodness and light into the world. You do have that power. You can choose to be a person who uses your time on this planet to make things better or to make things worse. You do have that power. How you spend your time, how you use your words, how you spend your money, these are things that you do actually have some amount of power over. And so we live in the tension between being powerless in some ways and profoundly empowered in other ways. And the trick is knowing the difference, is knowing, okay, here is a place where I actually have very little power, so I can just like loosen my grip on it because I never had any power here anyway. But there are other places where I, I can say, like, okay, I do have some control. I do have some agency over my own response to this situation. I do have some ability to create something new, to reach out to somebody who needs to be reached out to. I do have that power. And so the trick is knowing which is which and, and being able to, to know the difference between the two. So maybe this week, that's the task at hand is, okay, where, where, where on my path are there opportunities to bring good into the world, and how do I do that? And what ways do I not have some amount of power? In what ways can I just kind of surrender that because I didn't have power to begin with? So the journey is knowing the difference. So may you recognize all the ways that you are empowered and that you do have some agency and that you do have some ability to bring goodness and light and creativity into the world. May you choose to do that. 
May you know the difference between the places where you have power and the places where you don't. And may you find peace living inside that tension. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for empowering us in all the ways that perhaps we don't recognize. Um, may we, throughout this next week, may we become more aware to have some amount of power. May we recognize the opportunities in front of us to be creative, to be loving, to be gracious, to offer peace and warmth in a world that often lacks those things. May we bring out the best in ourselves and may that somehow bring out the best in others. May we release our grip on all the things that we never had control over in the first place and may we instead focus our energy on the things that we do have control over. May we be wise enough to know the difference. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we're done a little bit early, but no one ever once complained about getting out of church early. So, um, so thank you all so, so much for being here. I hope everyone has a great 4th of July. Um, be safe, be healthy. Um, it, it, whatever it is you, you do, hope you enjoy it. Um, there, if you want to give an offering, there are boxes in the back. Grace and peace be with you. Also with you.